Get back to basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. Hi, and a very good afternoon to you. Wonderful to be with you this afternoon. It is Wednesday. It's a beautiful sunny day here in Joburg, and great to be back with you. Um, albeit that it seems to have gotten a little bit colder and it gets dark earlier and uh, we seem to be not only in the throes of um, a third wave um, as unfortunately um, everybody had predicted and is calling at the moment but we certainly have beautiful weather, it's glorious and it's time perhaps to spend some time reflecting on things to do with Judaism 101.9 in um, the present atmosphere and thinking about something that is, as I hope that I'll be able to demonstrate to you, integrally linked with today, with today being the 15th day of Sivan, the middle of the month of Sivan, the third Jewish month, of course, the month that is best known for being Zman Matan Torah, the time of the giving of the Torah. And then obviously everything that uh, comes up in Jewish history and everything that we think about in Torah has a relevance and an importance in our lives. What is it that we need to do with this information? So we're going to talk about today, something linked with today, which we'll introduce in a moment, and then explore um, perhaps how this plays out in the world out there, how it always played out in the world out there, how it will play out in the world out there, as well as, of course, What is the relevance and what is the importance to me in my uh, little world, in my world, the world that I am involved in, the world that I dominate perhaps and govern, and the world in which there is something special that I can do with this information, this inspiration, and this derch, this way of thinking. So to introduce, let's talk about what today's date is in Jewish history. Well, it's a fascinating thing that if we go back to um, 1565 years before the Common Era or to 1446 years before the Common Era, we will see that they are linked today's date. The 15th of seven is linked with a man by the name of Yehuda. Now, this is not Yehuda Maccabee, but rather this is Yehuda, the son of Yaakov, of Jacob and Leah. Yaakov and Leah. One of our forefathers, Yaakov Avinu, one of our mothers, Leah, we know that they had several sons together. Of course, the 12 tribes come from Yaakov and his wives, but Leah was the mother of several of his children, one of them being Yehuda, he was born in Haran, Haran being where uh, Iraq, Iran, that kind of part of the world actually is across the Euphrates. And that was where Yaakov Avinu had gone to spend time to hide um, from his brother Esau, from his brother Esau, who wanted to kill him. And there, in fact, in that uh, hostile, in that difficult environment, he fathered the Jewish people, the entire um, 12 tribes of Israel were actually fathered there. And then coming back to Israel as they did just at the time that Binyamin, the youngest son, was born, one of the sons was Yehuda. Now, the Torah traces that Yehuda was actually born on the 15th of Sivan today, 
This is his birth date. But amazingly, he lived 119 years and he passed away in Egypt 119 years later on the same date. We have um, a special significance attached to many of our tzaddikim, many of our righteous uh, people who were born and died on the same date. Of course, later on, Moshe Rabbeinu, Moses, is one of those whose birthday and day of his passing was Zion Adar, the seventh of Adar. But here we have a precedent for it with Yehuda, Judah, Yehuda, the son of Yaakov and Leah, born on the 15th of Sivan, passes away 119 years later on the 15th of Sivan. Now, Yehuda is a fascinating character in Torah. And not the least of which is, of course, we know that the kingship of Israel actually stemmed from him. So we learned about and read about King David over the, tri- over the time of Shavuot, of Shuz, um, just over a week ago. And at that time, when we were thinking about the house of David that came from um, Yehuda, it's an amazing thing that that was something that, of course, was predicted. It was uh, placed in place by Yaakov Avinu, Jacob on his deathbed, confers the leadership of Israel upon Yehuda. He tells him, the scepter shall not depart from Yehuda nor the, uh, the legislator from between his feet until Shiloh, until Mashiach comes. So the lineage of, of, uh, of, from Yehuda to King David all the way through to Mashiach is something that was proclaimed by Yaakov Avinu, by Jacob, on his deathbed. And yet Yehuda was not the firstborn son. He was the son who clearly must have displayed the greatest leadership qualities. So let's explore Yehuda a little bit, and let's just think about who he was and what he was. Uh, Yehuda had, in fact, five sons. There was Er and Onan, who died without children. Then there was Shelah. Um, and then the complicated story of how Yehuda fathered two sons with his daughter-in-law with Tamar, Peretz and Zerach, and their descendants formed the tribe of Yehuda, the most populous, the most prestigious, um, the most powerful, perhaps, of the twelve tribes of Israel. Now, after the death then of King Solomon in uh, 797 before the Common Era, the people of Israel split into two kingdoms. Ten tribes formed the kingdom of Israel in the north. Unfortunately, this is uh, where the story went a little bit awry. That was uh, Shombron, Samaria, was the capital. And only the tribes of Yehuda and Binyamin, Yehuda and Binyamin, remained loyal to King Solomon's son, Rechavam. And they formed the kingdom of Yehuda, of Judea, in the south, in the area surrounding Yerushalayim, the capital of Israel, Yerushalayim, as it always has been and always will be. Eventually, the northern kingdom, that northern kingdom with the ten tribes in the north, that northern kingdom was conquered by Assyria. Remember, we met up with the Assyrian Greeks at the time of the Hanukkah story. So those were the guys from Assyria um, who conquered the northern kingdom, and the ten tribes living there were exiled and lost to the Jewish people. Um, And those are the famous lost tribes, the inhabitants of Yehuda. Um, who, in fact, were also exiled. They went to Babylon, to Bovel, but they subsequently returned and came back, rebuilt 
the Holy Land, rebuilt the Beis Hamikdash, rebuilt Yerushalayim, and over time the terms Judean and Jew, Yehuda and Yehudi, a Jew, which originally referred to a member of the tribe of uh, Judah, actually became synonymous with Jews everywhere, and it would always refer to the descendants of all the twelve tribes of uh, of Yaakov. So Yehuda not only gets the leadership, but Yehuda also actually kind of gets the naming rights for the Jewish people. A Jew comes from Yehuda. And we'll explore in a moment what is so um, what is so significant about Yehuda and what was the leadership that he actually demonstrated throughout his life. Get back to basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. Hi and welcome. Uh, welcome back. Yes, Rabbi Michael Katz here with you on Judaism 101.9. Great to be in your company and we're talking about great events that happened on this day in Jewish history. And of course, thinking about Yehuda, Judah, the son of Jacob and Leah, Jacob and Leah's son, Yehuda, who went on to be the leader, the one who was the ancestor of all the kings from King David all the way through to Mashiach. Um, and the relevance of that is huge if you think about it. And of course, um, almost predictable um, or almost predicted, let's say, almost part of the prophecy of Yaakov Avinu was one of the only surviving tribes of Israel. Is a tribe of Yehuda, gave name to the Jewish people, the Jews who came from Judah, who came from the Jew, uh, the, from Yehuda. This is the mark of um, what he perhaps stood for and what he was best known for. And why was it that he was chosen to be the leader? Well, if we're thinking about leadership and we're thinking about the relevance of it on this particular day, another great leader in much more recent history, if we go back to 1927, shortly after midnight on the 15th of Sivan in 1927, the sixth Lubavitcher Rebbe, Rabbi Yosef Yitzchak Schneerson, who lived from 1880 to 1950, was arrested by the agents of the Soviet secret police, known as the GPU, and the Yevsektia, the Jewish section of the Communist Party, for leading the underground network of rabbis, teachers, and emissaries, working to preserve and disseminate Jewish learning and observance throughout the Soviet Empire. And so if we think about um, this date, I think that it's a great springboard for us to be able to talk about the qualities of leadership. And let's First and foremost, look at the qualities of leadership that Yehuda displayed. Why was it or what was it that Yaakov Avinu saw or that actually gave him the ability to prophesy in a way that this would be the mark of leadership, of the kingship of the Jewish people from uh, that point on and ad infinitum right up to Mashiach? What are those special qualities? And perhaps we will just draw on a couple of interesting stories that are related and that you probably know quite well from your knowledge of the Bible, from your knowledge of the Torah, from your biblical knowledge and the stories thereof. There are a couple of stories that involve Yehuda that I think point to this aspect, this dimension of great leadership that he actually showed. Let's first of all, Think about the kind of image that we have painted of Yehuda 
in the story of the sale of Joseph. Now, what happened? Yosef, Joseph, is sent by his father, and he's going to uh, bring refreshment and check up on his brothers who are uh, posturing the sheep. They're shepherding the sheep of uh, the flocks of their father um, up in the north near Shechem. They are up there. They are involved in uh, doing what they do best, which is being shepherds. And Yosef, Joseph, who has caused a little bit of a, uh, a, a tiff with his brothers in a way because he has spoken to them about his dreams, which they interpret as heresy. They interpret it as vanity. They interpret it as being everything that um, a Jew shouldn't be doing. This is the way that the brothers see it. And they sit in judgment and they decide that Joseph, Yosef actually should be put to death for heresy. And in fact, this is what they want to enact. And sure enough, then along comes Joseph. Joseph appears. And what do the brothers do? So this is what they are uh, waiting for, in a way. And they decide that they're going to kill him. Steps forward, Ruvain. Ruvain, the older brother, who uh, wants to take responsibility, of course, for his little brother and for all the brothers, in fact, steps forward and he literally saves his life. But what does he do with him? He tosses him into a pit. You read the story and you see what happened. He threw him or he had him together with the brothers thrown into a pit. So they strip him naked. They take off his um, coat, which was uh, a significant spiritual heirloom that carried with it the uh, spirituality that Yosef was supposed to, was going to represent in the future. And here they toss him into the pit. He's in the pit. He is placed there. The Torah tells us that the pit was empty, but the bar was rake, the pit being empty. And by Mayim, there was no water in it. And of course, the Mephoroshim tell us, the sages tell us, that the fact that it had no water doesn't mean that it was actually completely empty. It was empty of water, but there were snakes and scorpions. It was the most terrible thing that was done. But here he's tossed into the pit, and it is a life-saving event, because had he not been tossed in the pit, he would have been slaughtered. He would have been um, killed by the brothers. Now, Harsh judgment, we read into it against all the brothers, and here kind of Ruvain comes out as the savior. But then there's an amazing twist to this tale, because if you read on, you'll see that um, the brothers then kind of sit down to uh, have lunch. So they're sitting down there, and they uh, um, are uh, breaking bread, they're uh, washing their hands, they're doing whatever they have to do in order to eat, and they are uh, kind of content here. Could you imagine the scene? Um, their little brother is wallowing in a pit that's full of snakes and scorpions and uh, not far off, and they sit down and they have lunch. And then the uh, uh, different groups of, 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 of travelers pass by. Um, there are the Midianites and there are the Ishmaelites, and they pass by, and a deal is struck, a deal is done to sell this boy into slavery. Now, we think harsh judgment. Wow, what did these guys do? They sold their brother into slavery. Remember, the decree was to kill him. 
that was what they really believed, according to their halachic calculation, that Joseph should die. Ruvain saves him, and they sell him. Now, who was it who came up with the idea of selling him into slavery? Yehuda. Yehuda spearheads this idea. He tables it. He says, here's a great idea. There are these uh, people passing by here. Let's sell him to them. And he sold from the one group to the other group. And eventually he winds up in Egypt, um, as we all know. Yehuda takes that stance. He sells him into slavery. Now, interestingly enough, we also note that Ruvain wasn't around at the time. Ruvain was not around at the time of the sale. Why? Because there's a very, very strange follow-on of the story. And they said Ruvain comes back sees that the pit is empty and rents his clothes. He tears his clothes and he says, Oi, my boy, what has happened? Um, now I'm really in trouble. The thing that I didn't want to do, and he probably suspects um, that his brother has been killed by the brothers. But the question is, where was Ruvain? Where was he? Why was he not around? And Rashi and other commentators point out two possibilities. One is that Ruvain was uh, it was his turn to go and help his father and he'd actually traveled home so can you imagine he put his little brother into the pit um with belligerent brothers sitting by who want to kill him and he leaves him there and he goes off perhaps to help his father so admirable he saved his life but he doesn't have any plan for the future he goes off does something else and kind of it seems forgets about the fact that he's left his brother his little brother, 17-year-old boy, is left there to uh, to die, perhaps, at the hand, hands of his brothers or uh, at the with, the with the snakes and the scorpions. When he comes there and finds that the pit is empty, oy, then he suddenly realizes what he's done and things are all uh, gone haywire. There is another point that is perhaps made about where was Ruvain. They said that Ruvain was doing tshuva. Ruvain actually didn't sit down to lunch, and the reason he didn't sit down to lunch was that he was fasting. He wasn't eating lunch. He didn't want to sit down to uh, eat with the brothers because he was fasting. What was he fasting for? Well, he had gotten involved in his father's marriage, as his father, in fact, tells him right at the end of uh, their time together on earth. He tells him, you know, you interfered with my bed. You mixed things up in my marriage, and a child has no right to mix into the parents' marriage. You shouldn't have got involved in that, um, even though you perhaps did it um, in order to... Uh, uh, favor your mother or whatever your intentions were, but in fact, this is something that was wrong. Ruvain is kind of taken out on that point. But the point is, whether he was doing tshuva or whether he was back with his father, Ruvain had no plan. Yehuda has a plan. Yehuda thinks of a great plan, and the plan is that we can save ourselves from this boy who is in their eyes, heretical, thinking of himself as God, saying that everybody and uh, the sun and the moon and the stars and everybody is going to bow down to him. Um, we can save ourselves from him. We can get rid of him, so to speak. But at the same time, at the same time, perhaps through a great ability to see what is going to be the outcome, to see something of the future, perhaps it is Yehuda who has that view of the future, he has the bigger picture. He has the ability to look into the future and see that something good, although this looks like a terrible situation, but to see the positive outcome that can come from something terrible. He perhaps is inspired 
by the very notion, by the fact that when Yosef, when Joseph will go down to Egypt, this eventually will be the salvation for everybody. Kachaba, that's how it turns out. Yosef HaTzadik, Joseph is the one who really saves not only himself and not only his brothers and not only all of Egypt, but in fact the whole known world. This is the vision, the view, the incredible, incredible leadership that is shown by Yehuda. He has a plan. He, You may not like the plan. You may think of it as being a little cruel. You may think of it as being a little unkind. But in, or a big unkind, but he has a plan. He has an ability to see perhaps what others don't see and to show the leadership of taking the tough decision of saying, you know what we're going to do now? <coughs> we are going to find our way out of this mess, out of the situation. We're not going to shed our brother's blood. We're not going to kill him. We're not going to do that. He doesn't want to cross that um, um, agreement, perhaps, that was made with the other brothers and with Ruvain, while Ruvain's back is turned or while he's out of the picture. But he does have a plan. And his plan is one that you can't maybe see the outcome now, but we know that the outcome is going to be incredibly positive in the future. So Ruvain shows this incredible, incredible leadership, courage, and insight, and an ability to see things that others perhaps cannot see. We're going to get on to the second part of uh, what it is that makes Yehuda the most incredible leader and perhaps gives a rise to the fact that it's from him that King David, the Malchus Beis David, the kingship of the house of David all the way through to Mashiach um, will come out in their future and in the future of the Jewish people to lead us all to call ourselves Jews, Yehudi, Jews, Yehudas in the name and because of this great and wondrous leader of the Jewish people. Be back with you right after this. Get back to basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. Hi and welcome back, yes, in honor of uh, Yehuda and his birthday and Yorzeit today on the 15th of Sivan. Thought it was appropriate to talk about the special qualities of leadership that Yehuda displayed, and we discussed one. The fact that he had a plan and the fact that he could see things perhaps that other people could not see. And looking a little bit into the future, to see the bigger picture, to realize that what you're doing, while it may seem at the moment not to make any sense or to be um, something that um, seems indefensible in the eyes of the world, nevertheless, a true leader has the ability to see it and to know that the outcome is going to be one that is good and positive and right for um, all Jews everywhere and for the entire world. And the second um, story, the second one, is the one that raises all sorts of interesting and strange questions, but just to think about one dimension of the story. And that's the famous story of Yehuda and Tamar. Tamar being Yehuda's daughter-in-law. So later on in life, Yehuda is um, actually... Um, <coughs> caught in a little bit of a trap, in a way, by a daughter-in-law who believes that her father-in-law hasn't quite behaved correctly. He was supposed to have given her an elaborate marriage to a younger son of the two of her husbands, two of the other sons of Yehuda passed away. Yehuda, of course, was reluctant 
in inverted commas, to sacrifice a third, and he didn't do what he was meant to do. And, in fact, she entraps him in a way. And what happens is him thinking that he is with some strange woman ends up that he actually fathers two children. He fathers uh, twins, um, Peretz and Zerach, are fathered um, by Yehuda with Tamar. Now, it's a very, very strange story. But the interesting point that I would like to draw your attention to is the fact that when uh, Tamar is uh, being questioned on exactly what happened, because now this woman has um, become um, pregnant and uh, it needs to be determined as to exactly how that happened when she actually didn't have a, a husband around. And, of course, um this raised all sorts of questions about whether she had actually, in inverted commas, cheated on uh, Yehuda's house because uh, being that she wasn't released from the leveret marriage, she was still, in fact, married to the family. Here she says, well, I've got a couple of things that I managed to take from this man um, and I'm not going to name him. Um, I'm not going to uh, disgrace him. But she stands to be put to death. She uh, holds them up and says, these are the things uh, that I have acquired. These are the things that I know belong to this individual. And Yehuda immediately steps forward and says, it's me. The disgrace that he could have brought upon himself. The terrible, terrible sins that he might have been accused of having done here in front of in front of all the judges of Israel in front of the whole Jewish people, so to speak, he steps forward and he says, it was me. What is the point here? Why does the Torah tell us the story? And one of the reasons I truly believe, and I think that our Mephoshim point to the fact that Yehuda showed incredible courage and leadership. And what was the leadership here? That he was prepared to take responsibility. He didn't say, it wasn't me. He didn't, he, and he could have, he could have hidden behind it and nobody would have known the better. Tamar would have been put to death. It would have been the end of the whole thing. And by the way, um, then perhaps cutting off um, all possibility of the future, Yehuda here stands up and says, it was me. Warts and all, you might not like what I did. You might not like my behavior. You might think that I am a, uh, a, a terror, a terrible person in the way that I behave. But Yehuda is prepared to stand up and say, I did this thing. This was me. I take responsibility. Taking responsibility for one's actions or lack thereof, taking responsibility for uh, whatever one does, whether it is good or bad or ugly, is a character trait. It is a mark of leadership, and it's the mark of leadership of this great man, Yehuda, whose birthday and your sight is today. Be back with you right after this. Get back to basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. So in commemoration of today, the 15th of Sivan, the birthday and the yard site of Yehuda, we've been putting under the spotlight today some of the attributes of Yehuda and how he taught us several things that we need to know about Jewish leadership, why it was that he was picked, that he was chosen, spotted by the Torah, by Yaakov Avinu, by Jacob, to be the one who would carry the mantle of leadership, of royalty for King David and all the way through to Mashiach. And one of the important dimensions of it is the way that he behaved in making a plan. You might not have liked the plan, but the plan was a definite plan. Number two, 
the ability to see the bigger picture. You know, if you think about it, all great leaders have got something, um, and it's not only great about them, and it's not only remarkable about them, and it's, we're not here saying that these are the only attributes, by the way, uh, because, of course, we know that one of the main attributes of a Jewish leader had to be anivus, it had to be um, a humility, like Moshe Rabbeinu. There's also got to be knowledge of Torah. There are all of these things. We're not discounting those things, but here are the attributes that stand out from Torah about Yehuda. Number one, he has the ability to see the bigger picture. Number two, he has the ability to have vision that vision of seeing outcomes, of understanding what can happen and what would be in the future. And number th- number three, he has the plan. He has a way of action. He doesn't just leave it and walk away and say, well, let somebody else do the hard yards um, or the hard work. It is Yehuda who has the plan. He sees something that can be implemented from which everything um, and everyone can benefit and he's prepared to go with his plan. And number four, and perhaps most importantly, he takes responsibility for his actions. He doesn't say it wasn't me. He doesn't say, I don't know what you're talking about. He doesn't say everybody else is wrong and I'm the only one who's right. He says there is something for which we need to take responsibility. I'm prepared to take that responsibility. And that is what Yehuda does. And so perhaps today, in thinking about our own lives, we need also to remember that we are leaders in our own right and leaders in our own families and leaders of our own lives. And we need to, number one, make sure that we have a plan. And our plan, of course, is written up in Torah and our mitzvahs and all of those things. We have a plan, and we know that that plan is something that we need to implement. Number two, we need to see the bigger picture. We need to remember and realize that my life is not just about me. It's about everything and everybody around me. Number three, we need to make sure that we and implement our plan that we don't just pay lip service and then walk away and say, well, like nothing happened. And number four is we need to take responsibility, take responsibility for what we do good and take responsibility for what we got for, but do bad. And remember that in that way, we can emulate and imitate the Yehuda of old, the Yehuda who was born today, whose your site is today. And in his honor and in his memory, let's make sure that we become the kind of leaders that are worthy of the name Yehudi, Yehuda of Jews. This is, in fact, what is requested and wanted from each and every one of us. I want to wish you a great rest of the week. I want to wish you a great Shabbat, a great Shabbos up ahead. Look forward to being back with you same time, same place next week on another installment of Judaism 101.9. Take care.